سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم We are in Surah Al-Shu'ara, Surah number 42, Ayah number 14. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim, Bismillahi Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Wa ma tafarraqu illa min ba'di ma jaa'ahum al-ilmu baghyan baynahum. Walau la kalimatan sabaqat min rabbika laqudiyah ila ajalim musamman laqudiyah baynahum. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ لَفِي شَكٍّ مِّنْهُمْ رِيبٍ informed us in the previous ayah that the foundation and the principles of deen of Islam and the universe religion, they are one. And that was revealed through Wahi to the great prophets, Nuh salam, Ibrahim salam, Musa salam, Isa salam, and then the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu That establishes a universal and a very impartial understanding of what Allah wants human beings to do. Yeah. And then human beings should not differ on those issues. They should remain monolithic and they should remain on the same platform. Yeah. But that is difficult for people who don't believe in wahi and for those who don't believe in the oneness of Allah, that's difficult for them to have one platform because that uh, removes their ability to maneuver and to manipulate. If you say there's only one way to do things, then your ability to manipulate goes away. But here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu speaks of those who do manipulate and those who do divide the community. Who are they? And they will not differ and divide themselves except after knowledge has come to them. Uh, after knowledge has come to them, Baghyam Bainam. Meaning that out of uh, rebellion against each other. Uh, so here, this is a huge um, claim that the Qur'an is making that uh, people will receive knowledge. Ilm here refers to knowledge of certainty, not speculative knowledge. So we're not talking about the speculation in matters of some details of Islam. We're talking about the foundations, the principles, the tawheed, Risala Akhirah, that they came with certainty and they know that this is the truth and they know this is knowledge. Okay, so it is not uh, beyond human reason 
and beyond human action to now do things wrongly after receiving knowledge. Yeah. So that will be based on the nafs, baghyam bainam, that the self and the ego and the selfishness comes into play, and even though you know the truth, you will not follow it. That is after accepting the truth. Yeah. So this is for a religious community. One is for the mushrikeen, which was mentioned in the previous ayah, that those who don't believe in Islam, they are going to have a problem and they will divide. Here the problem is with the religious community, those who believe. And despite their belief in oneness of Allah, the Risala and the Akhirah, they will now separate and divide and cause friction amongst each other. This is why this ayah is a cross-section of the Muslim community today. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of reforming the ummah before the ummah needs to be reformed. Uh, so here, it's very clear-cut that despite having knowledge of the truth and knowing the truth, the baghiyam bainam, out of pure selfishness, and uh, because of all bestial uh, propensities and human frailties, you will now divide. Uh, and you will cause yourselves to become splinter groups and so on. That is very despicable in the eyes of Allah, that despite knowing the truth and after knowing the truth and after accepting the truth, you do this, and then Allah gives us the warning that had he wanted, he would have destroyed you because of this but, وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّةٌ Had it not been for a decree that proceeded from your Lord not to destroy you here until a set time and a set term, the matter would have been resolved. Meaning the matter would have been resolved by Allah punishing you as a religious community. So there, 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 the tafarruq and the tafriq, the separation and division and causing people uh, into going into splinter groups is not the way of the ummah. And that is not what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, wants us to do as an ummah. We must remain on the same platform. All the fundamentals and the basic principles uh, must be, after being agreed upon, we must remain at least ostensibly united. And then Allah gives us even more, I think, uh, medicine. And indeed, those who are made to inherit the revelation and the book after them, uh, they go even further. They go into now doubt. In the filafi shakkim minhumuri. Go into much more doubt. Uh, much more uh, perplexity, as a translation here, much more confusion, um, meaning that you have the first generation of Muslims who, despite knowing the truth uh, and after accepting the truth, they, through their selfish intentions and through their ego and their inability to accommodate others, will destroy the ummah from within, and then those who are now the subsequent generation, because of that, 
uh, grouping and because of that, uh, what you call it, uh, not being united, mm, they will now unfortunately inherit a certain amount of doubt. So the first generation is the reason for the skepticism of the second generation. So one thing is a domino effect. One thing leads to another. So the, this ayah is a grave warning for those who claim to know the truth. That you cannot divide the ummah. And that has been the position of our great fuqaha, of the old and even the fuqaha of today, that we do not want to disunite the ummah because of a particular detail of sharia, keep the ummah together. Now, it may be that you're going to have to act upon something that you don't like. It might be even perhaps uh, not liked at all. But if the idea is to save the ummah from this level of confusion and this level of unity, then I think you have to come to the table and then negotiate, discuss, convince, persuade, and have a dialogue and be committed to the dialogue and so on. The ummah has to remain one ostensibly. On surface, you have to have one voice, one platform, and so on. This obviously would mean for the Muslims of a Muslim country is even more important than for Muslims in a non-Muslim country. The Muslims in a non-Muslim country, their role is to give da'wah. And that's about it. They should not worry too much about uh, some of these cosmetic forms of unity, etc. Okay? Because the people who are now responsible, they, they, they don't have what we call wilaya authority to enforce a certain amount of standardization or practice. Right? So they, the practice of the deen, you have to have a standard. That's why the wilaya of a wali, the authority of a ruler, is a prime in Sunni Islam. As it is in Shia Islam, in Shia Islam, obviously, they centralize everything anyway. In the Ayatollah or whoever is in charge of the government, they have to follow. That's their deen. And so on. In Sunni Islam, you do have academic abilities to disagree, but you don't have legal abilities to disagree. You cannot disagree based on the law. So, so that being one, and then the confusion is baghiyam baynahum, simply because of ego. So no Islamic issue is designed to cause disunity. When you talk about Islam, whether it's the macro or the micro, whether it is the usul or the furu, whether it is the principles or the details, nothing in Islam is designed to cause friction. Islam is all rahmah. Everything in Islam is designed to bring Muslims together especially their hearts, and so on. So you can have differences of opinion, and you can uh, agree to disagree, but you cannot become splinter groups in one particular uh, sect, if you want to call it a sect. The Sunnis must remain one on the basic foundations, the five pillars, and so on. Within now, uh, you have a house, and within the house, you want to do things differently. And one room must be decorated this way and another room decorated that way. That is fine. But you can't bring the house down. Don't bring the whole edifice down because you disagree internally. So you can have a family and a family within the siblings can have arguments and fights. But you don't destroy the family name. You don't destroy the tribe. And that is how 
uh, we must see this as a pragmatic approach to understanding how shura works. Uh, this is a prelude to the idea of shura. This surah is about shura, mutual consultation, how do you govern uh, within yourselves. And, uh, in shura, you're going to have, obviously, many people who are sane, and you'll have many people who are knuckleheads. Uh, some people will be easy to work with, some people will be impossible to work with because they will never concede. Yeah, so that's in shura, that happens, as you'll see in that ayah. So when you're going to run a government and everybody disagrees with each other, you don't have a government because it's totally unfunctional. It is impotent. Yeah, so that, that's not the way of shura. Shura means that you bring everybody together despite the differences. You can have differences, that's fine. You cannot be on the same page neither intellectually nor academically, nor in terms of policy, all the time. It is humanly impossible. So now what do you do? You need a system that tells you, okay, how do you bring everybody together when they have differences of opinion? This is the system, and whatever system that is. So human beings have uh, somehow, in, at least in principle, ideal worked it out. You can have a monarchy. Uh, that the king says this, you can have a dictatorship, that a dictator says this, you can have a parliament, that the parliament says this, you can have a general assembly, uh, you can have a senate, you can have a congress, you can have a republic, you can have a president. Whatever form of government is now going to allow you to keep everybody together on the same platform so that we have a functional government. Government is about functionality, it's not about ideals. Okay, yes, I, I think we have to realize, rely, realize this and say that, look, Islam is not designed to cause disunity. You cannot take an issue of Islam and then exclude people from your understanding of Islam because they disagree with you, known as takfir. So Abu Hanifa was very strict about this. That's, that's, that's why he brought the word wajib in between fard and sunnah, so that nobody would have the whip of takfir. Because there are going to be many issues that are inconclusive in Islam. And if there is a little bit of inclusivity, a little bit of doubt, just a little bit, then we will not say that it is fard, that therefore we can't say to somebody uh, that that person is a kafir, based on this view. So he saved the ummah, from uh, killing each other and making takfir of each other by introducing the idea of wajib. Wajib means, okay, if you deny to another kafir, you may be a fasiq, a sinner, and you may be a person of bid'ah, but we won't outrightly call you a kafir, and we won't exclude you, and we won't institutionalize what we call excommunication in the Catholic tradition. You're going to excommunicate someone. In Islam, it is very difficult to do that. And the fuqaha made sure that they, you were not given the prerogative as a leader to do that based on academic evidence and so on. So here this ayah is talking about a religious community that is committed to the religion. Right? Like the Mu'tazali claim that, or the Khawarij claim that anyone who commits a major sin is not a Muslim. They said that, and the Mu'tazali said whether he's in between, whether he's a kafir or a believer, we don't know, he's somewhere in between. So the Sunni said, no, we are not going to allow you to call anybody a kafir until we know 
without any doubt whatsoever that uh, what you are believing in is absolute kufr. We won't allow you to do that. Uh, because that's not the role of Islam. Islam is to bring people together so that they go into Jannah. The purpose of Islam is to save people from the fire and make them eligible to go into Jannah. And the process of takfir is what? Is to remove people from the path of Jannah and then shove them into Jahannam. That's takfir, calling each other kafirs. It's very counterproductive and antithetical to Islam. That's why these ayat speak volumes about the mindset of a Muslim with regards to how he preaches Islam to Muslims, not to non-Muslims. Okay? The problem with the Ahli Haq is with them, not with the Haq. The problem is with the Ahl, the people of the Haq. They are the problem. And Imam Ghazali mentioned this, and other great reformers have mentioned this, and Sufis also mention this all the time. Just be careful. Take it easy. It's okay. <laughs> this person maybe have an aberration. This person may be a sinner. This person may be this, but it's okay. Keep them in the fold of Islam. Don't excommunicate them. Don't have this mindset that they're no good and they're useless. Because after all, that's what the Khawarij did. And Ali radiallahu fought the Khawarij because they denied Shafa'a, intercession of the Prophet sallallahu so now what does that say about Ali radiallahu anhu? He is saying that there's still hope for Muslims who commit sin on the day of judgment through intercession of the Prophet sallallahu that they will be allowed to enter Jannah. See how the fiqh of the Sahabi works? It's genius and brilliant that we don't want anyone to go into Jahannam because of our words. We're not going to do that. That's a tall order. You say, this man is going to Jahannam. Allah Akbar. How can you say that? Are you God? If you have wahi, you can say this. If you don't have wahi, you can't point a finger to any individual and say, this man is going to die on kufr. You can't say that. It is haram, period. At the moment, his words are words of kufr. At the moment, his actions are actions of sinning. But we can't point a finger individually and say that this one, Mr. So-and-so, is doomed and he's definitely going to Jahannam. You can't do that. That's not allowed. You can describe the attribute, you can describe the particular words and actually say that these words will lead you on a path towards uh, Jahannam and towards hell. But you can't pinpoint and point fingers at individuals or groups and say they're going to Jahannam. If they hold these views, yes, then they are wrong and uh, they are, what you call it, against the sunnah and they are almost on the brink of Jannah. But you can't destine anybody yourself as God. You can't play God. And that's Abu Hanifa's, I think, genius. He didn't want the ummah to play God with people's lives and people's aqeelah and say that I'm going to now, uh, what do you call it, dispatch this person uh, into Jahannam. There's always room for shafa'ah and there's always room for tawbah and all of that. So, who has the prerogative to punish your Lord, mir Rabbik? Your Lord has the prerogative to punish, but even he doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't do that. He, he'll do that when the time comes, but not now. Mm. 
So this is how we see, you know, when you're going to introduce the idea of shura into the ummah, you need what we call the ingredients and the raw ingredients to be capable of shura. And this is a communal sifa attribute that the community must have this attribute collectively that it doesn't matter if we disagree with certain details of sharia and so on, but we will remain one in the same house. Now, you know, you might uh, not like those people who hold those values, which is fine too, but in front of non-Muslims, you have to remain one. You have to show a united front. Uh, the Prophet وسلم, at the time of Ahad counted the munafiqun and included them in the group. There were 300 munafiqun in Ahad. He didn't discard them. They're part of us. Even though he knew they're munafiqun. So that ostensibly, I don't mean PR, this is not for PR. This to show that we include everybody who has any wish to be included in us. So we will include them. Now, the idea of takfir comes when you do deny the most foundational and the most principled arguments of Islam, that Allah is one. And the Prophet ﷺ is the last messenger, and there's a day of judgment, and there's going to be resurrection, and there's Jannah and Jahannam. If you deny this, then you're definitely not a Muslim. So we won't any, we won't, you know, mince words there. We'll say it the way it is. We won't beat around the bush with the Qadianis. They are non-Muslim, period. That is why the consensus of everybody in the world that every Muslim, whether they're this way or that way, from every country in the world, they say that they are not Muslim. So we're not going to shy away from that just because we have to be accommodating. You accommodate if there is Islam. If there's no Islam, you don't accommodate. So now that is left to the role of the theologians, uh, the mutakallimun, in, in obviously uh, consensus with the uh, government and so on, that they, they, they can have this... Uh, what you call it, strategy and policy, that we have to teach people what are the basics of deen, what is the ilm of deen, what is the concrete, conclusive knowledge of deen, and so on. Otherwise, what will happen is that if you start doing this, which is what is happening now in the world, and especially here in the USA, the second part of the ayah is very disturbing and very alarming. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ لَفِي شَكٍّ مِّنْهُمْ that those who are made to inherit the revelation after them, they will be in confusion, in doubt, and skepticism. Eventually, they will leave the deen. And the first generation will be responsible for the second generation leaving the deen. So this is how you build generation after generation. You are khalifa to each other, that you are representing each other, and you succeed each other. So this has to be done, I think, for the sake of the ummah, and so on. If you disagree based on principle and your academic and intellect, then you must say so, and you must prove your point. And as long as you prove your point, then your your job is to convey, not to convince. You convey the truth as much as you can. Convincing is from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. 
you leave that to him and you go on about your business. So there's a lot of confusion here in the U.S. about leadership and organization and unity and all of that. So many issues, uh, which, which, which brand of Islam are you following and which blend of Islam are you now tasting and which flavor of the ice cream are you now bringing home this month and next month and so on. There's a lot of confusion. This is what this ayah is saying. The second generation, they will inherit doubt, speculation, confusion. This is exactly where we are in the USA today. All our children, and even our generation, they're confused totally. They don't know uh, too much about Islam, and they need to speculate, and they speculate, and they shoot from their hips, and so on. Anyway, so the two ayat, when you bring them together, the first ayah saying that religion is revealed to the prophets, and that religion is one. It is universal. That universal monolithic religion has to be maintained by the ummah that claims it is believing. When you claim that, then you have to fulfill your promise and your covenant with Allah that وَلَا تَتَفَرَّقُوا فِي وَلَا تَتَفَرَّقُوا that you establish the deen and you don't become splinter groups because in the name of the deen, and so on. So that is where I think the ummah needs a lot of reform and a lot of inspiration, a lot of guidance. inshallah. And it is for this that you must call... You must call people towards this that remain together after you have accepted the deen and accept the deen if you haven't accepted the deen. Remain firm the way you have been instructed. Remain constant and firm and steadfast and walk the straight path the way you have been instructed, which is a huge command for the Prophet because invariably you're going to uh, find yourself uh, wanting to compromise on certain issues. Hence, don't follow their whims and fancies. So groups will come and say, do this and we'll support you. And you may be inclined as a human being to think about it uh, and to compromise, which the Prophet as a human being did think about it in Makkah that the Quraysh would come and say this and that. And, but uh, the Prophet ﷺ did not do that, as we know. But there is this, because of his uh, humanness, uh, there is the possibility that you might want to concede and compromise where you should not concede and compromise. And that is how you made firm istiqamah. And you made on the straight path and you don't waver. And you don't deviate and you don't look at these side attractions. You remain focused on your destination. And say, I believe in whatever Allah has revealed of revelation, of kitab, of wahi and all of that. That you must say this to people. That yes, you have through your understanding, experience and through your intellect and through your ability to lead and your ability to understand people and your community may be better than what others might be able to do so. Uh, all of this uh, kind of secular 
knowledge of how the world works. And that might be true, but say, I believe in whatever Allah reveals. I believe in whatever Allah has given me of knowledge, of revelation, of knowledge, and so on. So, I wa umirtu li'adila baynakum. And I have been instructed to now be just amongst you, uh, to implement justice amongst you. Justice means that there's no shirk in your aqidah, because shirk is an injustice towards God. So you have justice for Allah, uh, that God's rights also are very much uh, part of Islamic theology, ideology, and practice. So the first rule of justice is that there should be no shirk against Allah. Uh, in the shirk al-adhub And then justice in your transactions, uh, in your dealings, in your relationships, and everything else. So there is a social order, and there's a divine order. In the social order, there is justice, and in the divine order, there's also justice. Um, so that is how uh, you see we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the hadith of Jibreel, there is a reference to this, that what is Ihsan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs people to do justice and to do Ihsan. So in your ibadah, there's going to be justice where there is no shirk, and in your ibadah, there's going to be Ihsan where you see Allah, and if you don't see Him, He's seeing you. That is Ihsan. So that is now the one level of ibadah. So justice in ibadah, justice in tawheed, justice in ibadah, justice in your social order and every other order uh, that you have. I have been instructed to implement justice amongst you. How are you going to do that? By saying, Allahu Rabbuna wa Rabbukum. Allah is our, my Lord, our Lord and yours. Uh, until you believe that Allah is the one who wants us to do this and we are pleasing Allah in our campaign to inshallah reach Jannah you will not be able to now take the journey on it will be very difficult yeah, so that is why the nafs must not be part of Islam and Islamic discourse if you bring the nafs in and say I'm doing this because I want to do it then that's not tawfiq from Allah. That's your nafs saying, that I want to do this. And so, on. so you must believe Allah is your Lord. When you're practicing Islam, you must believe Allah is the one who gives you tawfiq to practice Islam. You mustn't bring your ego and say, I'm doing this. Yeah. So that's why rububiyah, that who is our supervisor? Who is now our shepherd? And who is our Lord? And who is now guiding us to do all of these good things? think this way and to understand this way. It is our Lord, Allah. Allah is our Lord and He's also your Lord. So He's the one who's going to guide you and He's the one who's going to guide me. And that is how you have this spiritual outlook towards your Lord and towards how you're going to get to your destination. It makes it easier to say that Allah is with me instead of saying I'm doing this because I want to do this. So you can then you will know when you have to be aggressive, when you have to be slightly calm, and then you know when you can be angry and when you don't be angry. And this is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you will be now fulfilling Allah's order and not your order. And so on. This is how the Prophet trained the Sahaba. 
لنا أعمالنا ولكم أعمالكم for us they are our actions and for you they are your actions so your actions you will be responsible for our actions we are responsible for and that is how the Muslim Ummah used to be and hopefully we still can become that way لا حجة بيننا وبينكم there is no حجة in this Ayah maybe hujja is, is, is perhaps a dispute and there's no proof between us and you that will make too much sense and there's no dispute between us and you and there's evidence that we have and we have shown you our evidence and we don't want to cause any dispute in our argumentation in trying to convince you that this is the truth we will tell you what our argument is and that is how we have now settled the score in terms of um, effective da'wah. So at the beginning of the ayah, Allah says, فَلِذَلِكَ فَذُعُوا That because of this, you must know uh, what you call to give da'wah. So the ayah is about giving da'wah. So at the end, after you have given your proof, and your testimony and all of your argumentations, you can see it and say that that's it, that's all we have. We have completed our task of giving you da'wah. We have conveyed, the rest is up to Allah's now amr and his irada. Allah is the one who is going to gather us and going to collect us and going to bring us together. So whether you believe or you don't believe, we believe that Allah will gather us on uh, the Day of Judgment and then He will decide who is on the right path and who is on the wrong path and He will decide who goes into Jannah and who goes to the other place. So this is how in, in, you mustn't become so emotionally wrapped up in the idea that you have to convince somebody that you forget your purpose. Um, yeah. So that's the difference between being pleasing Allah with sincerity and aggressiveness and becoming obsessed and becoming maniacal. Because there's always a danger that the more you are passionately involved with a mission, the more you will become obsessed with it and the more you will become a maniac about it. And Allah is saying to the Prophet, you're not doing that. Because at the end of the day, you are not their warden. You're not their caretaker. فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مَذَكِّرْ لَسْنَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُصَيْتِرْ You're not a warden over them. That, uh, you, you go to Jannah and you, you go to Jannah. That's not, that, that's not being maniacal. Right, that's why takfir is wrong. It's totally un-Islamic. You're going to Jannah and you're going to Jannah. <laughs> yeah, that's becoming maniacal. You're obsessed. Yeah? Uh, obsession obviously is a disease. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want the Prophet to suffer from any psychological disease. He wants him to be passionate and concerned. But at the same time, he wants him to have tawakkul on Allah. That you trust Allah in what he does for your mission. You can't control the conclusion or the result of your mission. And that is the adab of a Nabi. He leaves it to Allah wa ilayhi al-masir. It is only to him that the return is. So the aqibah is in the hands of Allah. The aqibah is on the day of judgment, not here. So you have to leave room for your thinking there. You can be, uh, obviously, aggressive 
and you can be, mashallah, very, very passionate about what you do, but you cannot become a maniac because that's a, a psychological disease. You don't want to be that. Huh? So then you have to let go. When do you let go? That's the question. Huh? So in argumentation, you must know when to let go. I've done enough, and I've said enough, and that's the end of the story. The rest is Allah, we trust Allah, and whatever Allah decides, and so on. So, they, so that is how that in, in, there has to be justice there in your presentation and representation of Islam, the Quran, and Sunnah. There has to be justice. You mustn't fall underneath justice by becoming a zalim yourself, by becoming unjust yourself. And then when you get into foul language, then you are now a zalim. When you become so passionate in your debate that you start calling the other person in front of you names and all of these derisive words, then you're in trouble. Right? So that's how you must... These ayat are so inspirational that if Muslim governments knew that these ayat actually exist in the Qur'an for their guidance, they wouldn't have a problem running their governments because they'll be running their governments on Adan. Justice. If, if somebody in the, what do you call it, my community, my citizens, if they disagree with me, or I finish khalas, imprison him. Finish khalas, execute him. That's not justice. Right? So just at the high level, government level, administrative level, and justice at the low level in your own personal dealings in the house and everything else. So that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the whole comprehensive system of being and existing and governance and living and ruling through these ayat in this surah, which is called Surah Al-Shura, Allah is bringing down everything to the ground, literally, that this is how you behave and this is how you think. If you become... Uh, sick in your mind by becoming a maniac and a dictator, then that's it, finish. That is dhulm. Allah doesn't want you to become a zalim or unjust person. You have to be very kind. At the same time, you must be strong and firm also, known as istiqama, that you don't mince words when you don't need to. And so, so it's both that you have the ability to please people and you have the ability to discipline people if there is a need to do so, as long as there is a justice there, adil there, and uh, that is the, the end of the discussion here. Wa ilayhi al-masir. That is now the only way is to believe that there is a day of judgment, Maliki Yomiddin. Allah is the owner of that day, and Allah will decide the absolute truth. So we can wait for that decision. On that day, not here. The final hujjah is with Allah on the day of judgment. And this is how you must now find yourself in terms of negotiating with people how to reform themselves and how to now establish a system of justice and law and order so that there's no chaos and there's no friction and there's no killing and there's no fitna and all of that. So this is, as I said, inspirations from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ayat of the Qur'an that speak to the way we think and the way we must behave. And as I said, mostly for Muslim countries, does it apply to non-Muslim countries? At a certain degree it does, 
but the application will be only for those areas of the world where Muslims are able to implement the deen of Allah in totality. That is where these ayat will be executed in their comprehensive manner. In a non-Muslim country, you can understand the theory, enjoy it, and recite the ayat, but it will be all next impossible to actually visualize and realize the impact of these ayat because you don't have the plateau upon which you execute. Uh, you can understand the theory and make dua that one day it does become this way, uh, inshallah bi'idhillah. But until then, uh, you can advise people that you know. In Muslim countries, hey, read these ayat. Uh, instead of reading whatever you know, post enlightenment thinkers that have given you nothing but darkness. <laughs> Read the nur of Allah, which is the Quran. Inshallah. We make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq to read and recite the Quran, to inshallah understand the Quran and to practice the Quran the way you should. I mean, Rayyar Bil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala al khilqh Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabi wa